Excerpts from As I Lay Dying by Jennifer March Cora So I saved out the eggs and baked yesterday. The cakes turned out right well. We depend a lot on our chickens. They are good layers, what few we have left, after the possums and such. Snakes, too, in the summertime. A snake will break up a hen house quicker than anything. So after they were going to cost so much more than Mr. Tulp thought, and after I promised that the difference in the number of eggs would make it up, I had to be more careful than ever, because it was on my final say-so we took them. We could have stocked cheaper chickens, but I gave my promise, as Miss Lewington said when she advised me to get a good breed, because Mr. Tull himself admits that a good breed of cow or hog pays in the long run. So when we lost so many of them, we couldn't afford to use the eggs ourselves, because I could not have Mr. Tull chide me when it was on my say-so we took them. So when Miss Lewington told me about the cakes, I thought that I could bake them and earn enough at one time to increase the net value of the flock the equivalent of two head, and that my saving the eggs out one at a time, even the eggs wouldn't be costing anything. And that week they laid so well that I not only saved out enough eggs above what we had engaged to sell to bake the cakes with, had saved enough so that the flour and the sugar and the stovewood would not be costing anything. So I baked yesterday, more careful than I ever baked in my life, and the cakes turned out right well. But when we got to town this morning, Miss Lewington told me the lady had changed her mind and was not going to have the party after all. She ought to take in those cakes anyway, Kate says. Well, I says, I reckon she never had no use for them now. She ought to take them, Kate says. But those rich town ladies can change their minds. Poor folks can't. Riches is nothing in the face of the Lord, for he can see into the heart. Maybe I can sell them at the bazaar today, I say. They turned out real well. You can't get two dollars apiece for them, Kate says. Well, it isn't like they cost me anything, I say. I saved them out and swapped a dozen of them for the sugar and flour. It isn't like the cakes cost me anything. As Mr. Tull himself realizes, the eggs I saved were over and beyond what he had engaged to sell. So it was like we had found the eggs, or they had been given to us for nothing. She ought to take in those cakes when she's same as gave you her word, Kate says. The Lord can see into the heart. If it is his will that some folks have different ideas of honesty from other folks, it is not my place to question his decree. I reckon she never had any use for them, I say. They turned out real well, too. The quilt is drawn up to her chin, hot as it is, with only her two hands and her face outside. She is propped on the pillow with her head raised, so she can see out the window and hear him every time he takes up his ads or the saw. If we were deaf, we could almost watch her face and hear him, see him. Her face is wasted away so that the bones draw just under the skin in white lines. Her eyes are like two candles when you watch them gutter down into the sockets of iron candlesticks. But the eternal and everlasting grace is not upon her. They turned out real nice, I say. 
but not like the cakes Addie used to bake. You can see the girls washing and ironing in the pillow slip if ironed it ever was. Maybe it will reveal her blindness to her, laying there at the mercy and the ministration of four men and a torn boy girl. There's not a woman in this section could ever bake with Addie Bundren, I say. First thing we know, she'll be up and baking again, and then we won't have any sale for ours at all. Under the quilt, she makes no more of a hump than a rail would, and the only way you can tell she's breathing is by the sound of the mattress shucks. Even the hair at her cheek doesn't move, even with that girl standing right over her, fanning her with the fan. While we watch, she swaps the fan to the other hand without stopping it. Is she sleeping? Kate whispers. She's just watching Cash yonder, the girl says. We can hear the saw in the board. It sounds like snoring. Eula turns on the trunk and looks out the window. Her necklace looks real nice with her red hat. You wouldn't think it only cost 25 cents. She ought to have taken those cakes, Kate says. I could have used the money real well. But it's not like they cost me anything except the baking. I can tell him that anybody is likely to make a miscue, but it's not all of them that can get out of it without a loss, I can tell him. It's not everybody can eat their mistakes, I can tell him. Someone comes through the hall. It is Darl. He does not look in as he passes the door. Eula watches him as he goes on and passes from sight again towards the back. Her hand rises and touches her beads lightly, and then her hair. When she finds me watching her, her eyes go blank. Addie In the afternoon, when school was out and the last one had left with his little dirty snuffling nose, instead of going home, I would go down the hill to the spring where I could be quiet and hate them. It would be quiet there then, with the water bubbling up and away, and the sun slanting quiet in the trees, and the quiet smell of damp and rotting leaves and new earth, especially in the spring, for it was worse then. I could just remember how my father used to say that the reason for living was to get ready to stay dead a long time, and when I would have to look at them day after day, each with his or her secret and selfish thought, and blood strange to each other and blood strange to mine, and think that this seemed to be the only way I could get ready to stay dead? I would hate my father for having planted me. I would look forward to the times when they faulted, so I could whip them. When the switch fell, I could feel it upon my flesh. When it welted and ridged, it was my blood that ran, and I would think with each blow of the switch, now you are aware of me. Now I am something in your secret and selfish life who have marked your blood with my own forever and ever. And so I took on Zaya. I saw him pass the schoolhouse three or four times before I learned that he was driving four miles out of his way to do it. I noticed then how he was beginning to hum, a tall man and young, so that he looked already like a tall bird hunched in the cold weather on the wagon seat. He would pass the schoolhouse, the wagon creaking slow, his head turning slow to watch the door or the schoolhouse as the wagon passed, until he went around the corner and out of sight. 
One day I went to the door and stood there when he passed. When he saw me, he looked quickly away and did not look back again. In the early spring, it was the worst. Sometimes I thought that I could not bear it, lying in bed at night with the wild geese going north and their honking coming faint and high and wild out of the wild darkness. And during the day, it would seem as though I couldn't wait for the last one to go so I could go down to the spring. And so, when I looked up that day and saw Aunt Saya, standing there in his Sunday clothes, turning his hat round and round in his hands, I said, If you've got any women, folks, why in the world don't they make you get a haircut? I ain't got one, he said. Then he said suddenly, driving his eyes at me like two hounds in a strange yard, That's what I come to see you about. And make you hold your shoulders up, I said. You haven't got any, but you've got a house. They tell me you've got a house and a good farm. And you live there alone, doing for yourself, do you? He just looked at me, turning the hat in his hands. A new house, I said. Are you going to get married? And he said again, holding his eyes to mine, That's what I come to see you about. Later, he told me, I ain't got no people, so that won't be no worry to you. I don't reckon you can say the same. No, I have people. In Jefferson. His face fell a little. Well, I got a little property. I'm a forehand. I, I got a good honest name. I know how town folks are, but maybe when they talk to me. Well, they might listen, I said. But they'll be hard to talk to. He was watching my face. They're in the cemetery. But you're living kin, he said. They'll be different. Will they, I said. I don't know. I never had any other kind. So I took on Saya. And when I knew that I had cash, I knew that living was terrible and that this was the answer to it. That was when I learned that words are no good, that words don't ever fit what they're trying to say. When he was born... I knew that motherhood was invented by someone who didn't have a word for it because the ones that had the children didn't care whether there was a word for it or not. I knew that fear was invented by someone that had never had the fear, pride who never had the pride. I knew that it had been, not that they had dirty noses, but that we had to use one another by words, like spiders dangling by their mouths from a beam, swinging and twisting and never touching, and that only through the blows of die or switch could my blood and their blood flow as one stream. I knew that it had been. Not that my aloneness had to be violated over and over each day, but that it had never been violated until cash came. Not even my Anzea in the nights. He had words, too. Love, he called it. But I had been used to words for a long time. I knew that that word was like the other, just a shape to fill a lack. That when the right time came, you wouldn't need a word for that any more than for pride or fear. Cash did not need to say it to me, nor I to him. And I would say, let Ansea use it if he wants to. So that it was Ansea or love, love or Ansea, it didn't matter. 
I would think that even while I lay with him in the dark, and Cash asleep in the cradle within the swing of my hand, I would think that if he were to wake and cry, I would suckle him too. On Zaya or love, it didn't matter. My aloneness had been violated, and then made whole again by the violation. On Zaya, love, what you will, outside the circle. Then I found that I had Darl. At first, I would not believe it. Then I believed that it would kill Anzea. It was as though he had tricked me, hidden within a word like within a paper screen, and stuck me in the back with it. But then I realized that I had been tricked by words older than Anzea or love, and that the same word had tricked Anzea too and that my revenge would be that he would never know I was taking revenge. And when Darl was born, I asked Ansea to promise to take me to Jefferson when I died, because I knew that my father had been right. Even when he couldn't have known he was right, any more than I could have known I was wrong. Nonsense, Ansea said. You and me ain't nigh done chappin' yet with just two. He did not know that he was dead then. Sometimes I would lie by him in the dark, hearing the land that was now my blood and flesh, and I would think, On Zaya. Why, On Zaya? Why are you On Zaya? I would think about his name, until after a while I could see the word as a shape, a vessel, and I would watch him liquefy and flow into it like cold molasses flowing out of the darkness into the vessel, until the jar stood full and motionless. A significant shape, profoundly without me, like an empty door frame. And then I would find that I had forgotten the name of the jar. I would think the shape of my body when I was a virgin, and the shape of it now. And I couldn't think of Ansea, couldn't remember Ansea. It was not that I couldn't think of myself, because I am three now. And when I would think Cash and Darl that way, until their names would die and solidify into a shape and then fade away, I would say, all right, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what they call them. And when Cora Tull would tell me I was not a true mother, I would think how words go straight up in a thin line, quick and harmless, and how terrible doing goes along the earth, clinging to it, so after a while the two lines are too far apart for the same person to straddle from one to the other, and that sin and love and fear are just sounds, that people who have never sinned or loved nor feared have for what they never had, and cannot have, until they forget the words.' 